Welcome back to the program. Father, I think we should pray. Before we get any further, let's begin with prayer. Okay, for our scripture passage, we're looking at uh, St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, starting with verse 9. Therefore, from the day we heard this, we do not cease praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding, to live in a manner worthy of the Lord so as to be fully pleasing in every good work bearing fruit and growing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with every power in accord with his glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has made you fit to share in the inheritance of the Holy Ones in light. He delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Good and gracious God, as we are halfway through the season of Lent, the season that prepares us for the celebration of our redemption on the cross, we ask for your continued graces and mercies upon us and your strengths and every virtue we need to persevere through every trial that in our perseverance we may find our way at last homeward bound to you. All this we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Father, the day that we are uh, recording this is on Friday the 25th, which is the Feast of the Annunciation, or the Solemnity of the Annunciation. It's a solemnity, isn't it? It is. It is a solemnity. I think a lot of solemnities crowded in Uh in this past week. That's pretty cool. Um, but uh, it, it just it was an hour ago when we were praying the act of um, consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary at the most fitting parish of all. <laughs> I hope the bishop's not listening in because the cathedral is Our Lady of Lords, but we are at St. Mary Parish. So uh, maybe Immaculate Conception would be the best parish, right? Yes, if there's yeah. a, a, but we're pretty close to the center of the bullseye on, <laughs> on the parish to be at. But I was there with John Mark. Um, that was touching to me. John Mark said, Dad, can you take me out of school so that I can pray the consecration prayer along with the Pope and the Bishop and, and you, Father Lewis, and others around the world? I want to pray it during the time that everyone else is praying it, yeah. which was awesome. Yeah. Um, and then Carrie went with Mary Grace to the cathedral. Sorry, Father. Oh, uh, well, you know, yeah. that's okay. <laughs> they said, we want to go be with the bishop. We want to be uh, in the big, beautiful cathedral. And so when St. Mary's becomes a big, beautiful parish, <laughs> sorry, a little, you have nothing to do with the architecture, except that you're helping to improve it, right? Is that part of the plan? That is, yeah, hopefully this summer. Nice. Yeah. Oh, nice. I love it. Um, but uh, so they they went to the consecration there. Um, haven't heard back from them yet. Um, and what's interesting is this: is that this is going to air on Monday. And I'm wondering, when by the time this airs, will we see any of the unfolding fruit of the prayer itself? Yeah, I was actually thinking about that when we when we were when we were praying uh, at St. Mary. You know, as you say, just an hour ago. Um, a part of me wanted to stand up at the conclusion, and and you know I did. I, I remind everyone of the the invincible power of prayer, and uh, and I wanted to. I was thinking of adding to that. You know, who knows? But that you know, this time next week, you know, the war is done, and and we're on our path toward peace again. And maybe you know, Russia uh, not s- surrenders or something, but but calls it quits, goes home, and and Ukraine gets to celebrate that the aggressor is gone, and and now we can begin building a peace. You know. I was wondering if that might happen a week from today as we're recording this. Who knows? It might even happen over the weekend so that by the time our listeners are hearing this, you know, we're, we're projecting into the future what is now in the past for the people listening to this. It would be strange dynamic. But, um, yeah, I mean, we ought to have that hope and expectation. I understand when, when the first Gulf War happened and Pope uh, John Paul II, St. John Paul II, was, was urging the world to pray for a swift resolution to that, to that war, it was within four weeks of, of of his worldwide prayer that that war ended, and that war was only six weeks long anyway. But we were already, I think, believe I believe two weeks into it, and then and then we prayed, and then in under a month it was over. So the power of prayer. Who knows if it had just been another long drawn out thing, were it not for this heightened and uh, deliberate focus on the power of prayer on the part of the the faithful throughout the world. Well, and that takes certain like the eyes of faith, mm-hmm. right? I think that. It, that's one of the sadnesses that, popularly speaking, uh, people have this understanding that faith is blind. Faith right. is accepting things as true that you just can't see. Versus, no, faith brings light, brings sight, brings mm-hmm. a way of gaining uh, 
a perspective on things that uh, is infused or informed by faith right. and uh, by by having God be explicitly in the picture. Yeah. So as you were, um, I don't know at what point you found out about this consecration. It's only, I don't know, less than two weeks old that mm-hmm. the Holy Father announced that he was doing this. Um, did you have any sense of like anticipation about how it would unfold? Like I talked about this uh, on Friday, on Sunday, yeah. because there are different sort of like approaches. Like it'll be the miracle of the sun, boom, right. kind of event. Or it'll be maybe like the John Paul II. They, they said the prayer, and over the course of weeks it unfolded. Yeah. And lo and behold, whether or not people in the world recognize it, no, God moved powerfully. Mm-hmm. Others have an insight that say, yeah, that prayer is going to unleash even worse chastisements, but those chastisements are precisely for the sake of the cleansing that will bring peace yeah. in the world. Yeah, those are those are three theories. So, <laughs> well, you know, you know, I'll go back to the where, where you began the that that question is: uh, Did I have a sense of what might happen? Well, um, as soon as soon as Pope Francis announced that he was doing this, I was already trying to calculate: Okay, how many hours behind are we to Rome? Because I don't know what we'll do, but we're going to do something at St. Mary at that same time. And then throw in the mix the time change. And and uh, and I'm like, okay, so do they time change with us or not? So are we nine hours behind or eight or what is the deal? And um, and so I was agonizing with my staff. Okay, let's let's figure this out. What time is it? And as soon as we figure it out, we'll put out you know a flock note to the prisoners saying, you know, we're going to do something, probably just the rosary. Uh, so I don't believe Pope Francis even published the prayer yet for the world. And he certainly hadn't asked the bishops of the world to join him in it yet. But I, you know, regardless, we were going to do something. And then, and then it started to unfold. And I thought, this is, this is, this is awesome. He's actually inviting all of us to join in the con well, the bishops to consecrate with him. And, um, um, and I was very happy to see. So at St. Mary, one of the fruits of this already was, uh, people there, there's a, there's a sorrow and a suffering and, and scare. And, you know, people are scared of what's going on that, that, if nothing else, that drives up an emotional energy within us that that yearns to be expended, and um, if it's not expended deliberately into prayer, then then who knows? What, I mean, we're just gonna chomp on our fingernails and just fret and, and and all that. So when we when we announced that we were doing this, I didn't know how many people would come, but not only did we see I, I don't know maybe forty parishioners there, but three of my classes were there at my school, the fourth, the sixth, and the eighth grade. And I didn't ask them to, and I didn't know they were doing it. And all of a sudden, I see just lines of kids coming into the church. So an immediate fruit that I've seen already is that people want to buy into this and 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 want to participate in this somehow, and and in some measure believe in the power of prayer. And and right there, we're seeing a a beautiful communion of the faithful uh, in in the one act of prayer in the church. I, I think it's a phenomenon, right? Like, how often does the Pope say? And I call upon the whole world to join me in prayer for X, Y, Z. The answer is probably on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. There is some kind of um, call that goes out from the Holy Father to join in some act of prayer or fasting or generosity or repentance or something. But this has, I mean, it's like it's grabbed, it's grabbed the people, Mm -hmm. the people of God in a way that I can't remember. I'm trying to remember like something that would be, I don't know, similar to this. Yeah. You know, certainly he puts out his monthly prayer intentions and then people at their own pace will, will join their intentions with his, with his own. But when, you know, when he specifically said, you know, this is happening in Rome at 5 p.m. Roman time, you know, it's like he's sending out the signal like, let's 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 do this instead of like kind of a shotgun approach to prayer you know a sniper's rifle bullet very focused and very very um a single target and did you read the letter because it was a simple page letter mm-hmm. and it said we're going to start at 5 p.m yeah. and we'll be praying that prayer right around 6 30 just yeah. before 6 30 yeah it was like, very specific he really wanted to highlight here's the window yeah. like this is the window get at it together come mm-hmm. on everybody yeah, but go ahead. And well, then the, uh, the you asked when was the last time he did this? I can think of uh, maybe the world galvanizing around a specific prayer of his and a prayer activity was when he had the um, Urbi at um, Orbi 
Did I, am I pronouncing mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. Uh, the extraordinary one for uh, in the midst of COVID. I don't know if you watched, but even then, like it was like we can watch him and pray with him as he did Eucharistic adoration. But it was raining in Rome. He was all by himself. Yeah, it was extremely that's what was so striking. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was yeah. such a, and he was outside. And I think that's when he spoke like his prayer for the city and for the world. And then he went to that crucifix, and I think he kissed the foot of that crucifix, and and it was raining, so I think it was covered with some plexiglass to protect it, because it's like an ancient, ancient piece of sacred art. And then he went just inside the doors of St. Peter, and there was a, an altar set up with the uh, with the uh, monstrance and the Blessed Lord in the monstrance, and there he there he prayed. And I I can't remember how long it lasted. I think it was for a full hour, and you could tune in on on Facebook. I think is they had a link, and EWTN had something, and and I watched a good deal of that, and I think I, I, th- I think that was still while the world was basically shut down. So right. I was watching that with our own adoration in the church at St. Mary going on. So I got the monsters I'm looking on my computer screen, our own on the altar at St. Mary, and hoping that between our live stream camera and the internet, people are, you know, my parishioners are watching one or both. That's the last time I can think of something like this extraordinary happened. But even then, it was like him doing the praying. This time, it's all of us doing the praying with him. So this has an added caliber, it feels like to me. Yeah. Well, and do you have an opinion about um, some commentators, and, and I don't even know if you've like followed any of these commentators, who will evaluate whether Pope Francis is doing it the right way, right. following the right formula, and does he fulfill the requirements of Our Lady of Fatima given to Saint Sister Lucy or not? Yeah. Did you follow any of that? I've listened to some of that, and um, in one commentator, I so one of the one of the uh, Catholic podcasts I listened to is Crest in the Afternoon. The host is Al Crest of of Ave Maria Radio outside of Detroit, I think. And he's got a regular correspondent uh, kind of news commentator named uh, Matthew Bunsen who works for EWTN News. And in their conversation, it said, you know, regardless of whether or not what Pope Francis is doing, strictly speaking, meets the requirements of Fatima, it's never a bad thing to pray a prayer of consecration for anyone. (laughs) And I wonder if Pope Francis, frankly, even gave a darn about whether or not this meets with what Fatima requires, probably because he realizes in 84... St. John Paul II did it, and to the satisfaction of Sister Lucia, that satisfied uh, what Our Lady Fatima asked for. This is kind of a re-up, and so that is the way I figure it. And and I don't think he, I don't think he's even mentioned Fatima at all in any of his lead up to today, uh, to to this consecration here. Again, probably because that's been done. That's in the past. That part is over. What Fatima asked for has been accomplished, and 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 communist Russia fell. But now we've got a new kind of evil percolating in Russia, and, and, and he is going to address this. And Fatima didn't speak. I don't. It said the errors of Russia, which we've always understood is, is communist USSR. Um, but again, Sister Lucia said that that's, that's been satisfied. That's, that's, that book is closed. Pope Francis is, is addressing the current situation. And again, I, I agree with Matthew Bunsen, Alcresta. I think it's never a bad thing for the Pope to. A pray a consecration prayer for for anyone, and you know Russia or Ukraine or anyone else. Well, what's um, interesting is that first of all, I like your comments. Uh, the second is that there, you know, that there are those who are like it's like sort of nails on the chalkboard, fingernails <laughs> on the chalkboard, like no. <laughs> John Paul II didn't do it the right way. He didn't mention Russia by name, and Sister Lucy was swindled into thinking this, and it wasn't really what she said. And and there are people. I there was a priest. I I saw his commentary on the consecration before it happened, and he's like, it won't. It, n- none of the previous attempts have been correct. The request from heaven hasn't been fulfilled, and in order for it to be fulfilled, the Pope has to send out a decree that says. Every bishop must either perform it or they will be excommunicated, ex latte sententiae. By the wow. very act of not performing it, they will be excommunicated. Wow. And, and that's the only way to actually accomplish it in this moment in history because there are so many quote-unquote bad bishops in his mind. And I'm like, man, you're like— narrow. That's pretty hardcore. That's a pretty intense way of thinking that this is how God works. God's like, no, that is not, no, you you missed a word. You did. Uh, Sorry. I'm, I'm prevented. I'm prevented. 
All right, we're up against a break, so I'm prevented from continuing, Father. <laughs> when we come back, more Sound Insight with Father Jeff Lewis. Back in a moment. Welcome back to Sound Insight, and today we're talking about Catholic fundamentalism. No, that is not right, Father. That is not what we're talking about. But uh, you and I were chatting during the break and just about that approach to things. That um, it, it is a, it's, it's actually a really interesting thing to think about the relationship between what the Lord has for us and wills for us and the, the way in which we impact that through our cooperation. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I, don't, I don't think we've talked about this on the radio, um, but have we talked about the, the, the priests who discovered that they weren't baptized? Oh, uh, I don't know if we have, but I have with many other people. <laughs> okay. So I'd like your take on that yeah. because, um, you know, so why don't you, do you want me to t- kind of tee it up or do you, do you so, want to? Yeah, I, I believe it was a priest somewhere in Michigan who was just, you know, a couple years into his priesthood. Um, no, um, he's like 10 years in. This was a long time ago. Oh, okay. There, well, there, there were a couple of priests. It wasn't there just was, one, yeah. but go ahead. Yeah, well, anyway, he was reviewing like the video that was taken of his own baptism when he was a baby, uh, maybe in their uh, early 90s or mid-80s or something, and noticed that the, I think it was a deacon who baptized him, said, we baptize you in the name of the Father. And I can imagine, you know, the priest, you know, the pseudo-priest's horror of his heart sinking in his chest, like, he did not use the correct form. Every sacrament has proper matter and form, the form being the words and the matter being kind of the, the material that we need to use, the stuff. And um, and so he alerted his his bishop. And, and, and anyway, so what they had to do was he had to be baptized again, baptized for the first time, confirmed, rece- you know, all of this, and then, uh, although I think that's pretty awesome because all the sins he committed in his past are just wiped clean in that one moment. But, <laughs> but uh, and then Take he had to, me home now, yeah, Lord. And then he had to be ordained deacon again, ordained priest again, and then they had to go back to all of the sacraments, all the the marriages, all the baptism that he did, and and try to go backtrack to all this to 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 fix it because he performed those sacraments invalidly because he himself wasn't a valid priest and and then I heard that it happened again uh, in Phoenix I think where this priest for maybe that's where I got the three years or something for a number of years he had been doing this and I wonder if his he had been the one who was using the incorrect formula but I understand he was foreign born and maybe maybe there's an element of loss in translation and he just wasn't using the correct form in English but regardless um, you know. Yeah, that's that's the story. That's kind of the backdrop. I think. Okay, so then let's let's dig into this because um, what's the relationship between um, you know the the literalism connected to consecration, the the act of you know did they really fulfill the requirements of Our Lady entrusted to Sister Lucy and blah blah blah, mm-hmm. and so the error of peace won't be coming because you didn't say it right. right. And then now let's bring that same principle over here. And you have, you know, here's this priest who, I, I, and what I had heard was there, there was like some rumblings in a report about this deacon had been performing these baptisms incorrectly. It had become known. The priest was like, hey, wait a minute, didn't that deacon didn't, baptize me? Okay. Let's go get looked. the video. Okay. And he found out and he was like, oh no, yeah. what have I, what has happened to me? Um, so... It's like, uh, is you see where this question is leading? Yeah, like yeah. I versus we. Mm-hmm. Does God say, "Oh, you, <laughs> you said we instead of I"? Now all the downstream effects of that are now impacted, and so you were never confirmed, never went to confession, never received co- uh, communion appropriately. You you yeah. weren't confirmed. You know you weren't ordained, and now all the other downstream effects, mm-hmm. all of that because of one word. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't that seem like a heavy burden? It does, yeah. So a couple of thoughts. Uh, one, suppose that that priest never dawned on him to look back. And so uh, he never wondered. It just didn't occur to him. And so he never discovered that 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 he was not baptized, quote-unquote, correctly. You know, I, th- I don't think that God is up there saying, like, oh, because this guy screwed up, that guy was never a priest, and all these people are damned. I don't think God's doing that. God can supply the grace. God is not confined by the sacraments. We are because God told us to. Jesus instituted the sacraments for us to to do our part to 
effect uh, you know, the consecration of the world through the graces of the sacrament. So we can't willy-nilly just change these things. Um, but And so we are bound by the sacraments. We, the church, are bound. I, we, I love what you do. You're quoting the catechism, yeah. <laughs> right? God has bound salvation to the sacraments, but yeah. God is not bound by what he has established. Correct, yeah. That's a great uh, great quote, but go ahead, continue yeah. it. Yeah, so if if we didn't know to, to look back at that, we wouldn't know that there needs to be a corrective or anything like that. And and God can do what he wants. He can, he can work around, okay, um, but now that we do know, there is, I would imagine, you know, I, I think that there's, there's, there's now responsibility on our part to, to do, to correct what we, what needs correcting. Now that we know, we can no longer claim invincible ignorance, which is a, I believe that's a phrase out of uh, Pope Paul VI, or maybe even out of Vatican II itself, the uh, invincible ignorance uh, of someone not knowing that there was a better way, or, you know, in this case, that we needed the correct language. So, so there's that. God is not bound by his, by his rules that he gives to us. God is beyond that because he's the rule maker. And, um, and also, why, are we got, why do we got to be so strictly careful with the sacraments is because, A, Jesus gave us to these. Jesus and his church gave us the sacraments, and these are the vehicles that confect grace. As awesome as consecration prayers are, it is not a sacrament. And so consecration prayers are powerful and they're effective, and, and they give great witness and all the rest. But, you know, they are still second fiddle to to the concert master that is the sacraments. So um, when tr- when Jesus and the church, infallible, you know, scripture and tradition have told us that that the sacraments need to be thus and so, that's that's out of that's out of revealed tradition. That's out of revelation. Whereas Sister Lucia's revelation Although very public is, it doesn't qualify as public revelation. It's not the original revelation; it's private revelation that is widely known. Mm-hmm. But we are not bound in the same way to that, and as we are to the sacrament. So those right. are a couple of the ideas. I like I that. Have. Well, and if you think about it, wouldn't his baptisms be valid? Because it, you know, he he even as a an unbaptized person, if he's willing what the church wills and follows the proper form and matter, he's actually performing baptisms. Yeah, that that part I may have been fuzzy on. Maybe they didn't have to go and rebaptize all those people because exactly, you know, Which, you could, thanks be to God, right? Yeah, thanks be to God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If I if if I weren't baptized and I'm hanging out with my unbaptized friend and and you know, I'm having a heart attack, if he knows what to do, I hope he would baptize me, you know, yes. and he would validly be able... My grandmother has actually baptized lots and lots of people. This was... She was a, a, a an RN at Sacred Heart Medical Center and worked in the maternity ward. And, uh, you know, back in the day when many pregnancies were very difficult, you didn't have the technology you do now, and the priest wasn't always available. So if there was any danger of death and the baby being born, she baptized the baby and then called the local parish down the road saying... Did it again. You can probably find all kinds of Catherine Ramsey is the baptize <laughs> is the baptizer of so many people out of Sigar Parish. So if you were baptized by Catherine Ramsey, I, I guarantee it was valid. <laughs> nice. I that is really, really cool. Yeah. And um well, anyway, this is Tom Karn. I'm with uh, Father Jeff Lewis today on Sound Insight. And I, I think we're reflecting on, at least right now, just this like the, the power and importance of human cooperation. Mm-hmm. Right? That the fact that we what we do matters to God. And God honors um, the world that he has established, even though he does work beyond us and beyond the rules that he has established for us. There's a, um, an implication of this that I think about. It's, it's taken me a long time to wrestle with it, and it is, has to do with um, children. And that is um, this whole idea that um, God wills, uh, he, he has ideas in his mind of human beings that he intends to be born. But he has willed to involve human cooperators in the birth of children. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's this real mysterious thing where you have married couples who were socialized into a way of thinking where they somehow believed it was okay to contracept, right? There's a large swath of uh, married people now who just accept that as having no issue at all. Are they fulfilling God's will for their married life in terms of being open to life? Is there any child that God had willed to come to being that doesn't come to being? Because of that. Because act, of the that frustrated the act. mystery of commun- of of God's cooperative involvement in human beings in in a, in a married couple's life and how many single people right that mm-hmm. end up getting pregnant and bringing a child to birth. 
that it just becomes more mysterious, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, leaves you know can leave you a lot of guessing, like you know, um, and then but then you might wonder too, like you know, a, a couple that doesn't contracept, but uh, you know, for for whatever reason, like you know, maybe they may practice NFP validly, and and um, and they had discerned, like now now we're just not in a position to bring a new baby into the world. But and so they they abstain and who knows but that you know a child that would have been had in that union, you know it is a child that God willed you know. But I think you know I don't I don't think that those folks would be in sin. And I think if God you know wanted to will a child in that particular moment, you know God can write straight with crooked lines as some people say and and found another way perhaps. But um, yeah, kind of yeah, it's it's a mystery to think about these uh, these what could have been you know kind of things. Yeah. <laughs> well, and to just uh, I'll I'll put a point on the sentence that uh, uh, for Kerry and me, um, when we first were married and being prepared for marriage, natural family planning was what was like pro- uh, prompted to us, but. Um, we quickly moved to supernatural family planning. Um, have you heard of that? No. So supernatural family planning is um, providentialism. Okay. Which, uh, in, do you know what that what that refers to here? It basically, it's you just open the life mm-hmm. and just God will give a child when God intends to give a child. Yeah. And you end up with nine kids. <laughs> um, but no, it was like um, it was so freeing for us to not even have to like all the charting and all of the effort and focus and attention on natural family planning. It was like, wait a minute, can't we just trust God's going to provide God, God? God's a provident God and he'll provide us with a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he'll provide us with the way to care for that child. Yeah. So that has been very life giving to us. And I, I love promoting that when I have a chance, mm-hmm. um, uh, even, over fertility awareness and natural family planning for those who have the ears to hear. Yeah, yeah. I know other couples that that are like that, and they have the same kind of uh, f- uh, f- uh, freed and joyful spirit about about their their lives as a couple and as a family. And um, and uh, you know, if if it'll rain, if God wills it, kind of a thing. And and uh, if, if the baby's going to come, then then so will the providence to help support the baby. Yeah. 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 Well, in Let's just say Liliana's very happy that we were providentialists, our, our ninth <laughs> child. And Carrie is a number 10 of 12. So she was very happy that her parents mm-hmm. were providentialists. And uh, and that's different than maximalists. Have you heard of that? So a maximalist, <laughs> they believe they have a moral duty to have as many children as possible. Yeah, yeah. We're not maximalists. <laughs> um, but, you know, anyways. So it's uh, it's a, that is that that whole sense of cooperation with the Lord, yeah. right? Cooperation with the Lord. Um, and what's at stake in that? Um, well, we're actually recording this program on the Feast of the Annunciation. And boy, you think about cooperation and mm-hmm. what's at stake in it. Yeah. And where am I headed here, Father? Well, Mary's cooperation, of course, you know, her uh, her great and resounding yes. It wasn't in the uh, office readings this morning. I believe it's uh, I believe it's the second reading of the office readings actually for the fourth Sunday in Advent. Um, where Saint Bernard de Claveau is uh, has written what was there, and um, and he's kind of speaking to Mary in this writing, where um, you know the angels appear to her, and maybe you know, and so why are you afraid, Mary? And you've been told, you know, you've been told to be not afraid, and why do you hesitate? The entire God Himself, the entire creation awaits your answer. This is not a time for. Uh, for what does he say? Like virginal prudence, it is. It is time for anyway. He's he's urging her, kind of you know, as if he's as if he's his, her his, her cheerleader, and and he ends the whole thing by quoting her, "Let it be done to me according to your world." It's actually a very it's a very beautiful reading and kind of meditation on maybe what was going on in her heart. But I like that idea that that God Himself is waiting for her. Yes. And and her freedom uh, as a human creature was not violated, and it was not going to be violated. She could have said no, and I have no idea what would have happened if she said no. <laughs> would God have to like basically, you know, okay, we need to back it up two thousand years and and plan everything for the for the next virgin to conceive the Son of God? I, I, who knows what would have happened? Maybe he had a backup all ready to go, <laughs> you know, and just down the road from Nazareth. Who knows? But. Thanks be to God, she said yes, and and that is the power of of you know human cooperation with the grace of God. He was not going to affect His will without her saying yes. Yeah, it's it's a stunning thing 
to, to ponder. Mm -hmm. And it's like, thanks be to God she didn't. And, and I think that I, maybe from a devotional standpoint, I like to say, oh, the grace was so overwhelmingly um, operative in her that even though it, it was theoretically possible that she could say no, there was no like at an existential reality, there was no no in her at all, right? Yeah. Uh, but that, it, that maybe it's because I don't want to be vulnerable like that, that she could have said no. So, all right, back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carnum with Father Jeff Lewis, and I just told him I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do, but it has to do with Mary's yes and what Mary's yes opened her to. Um, so on the way back from the consecration this morning, I was driving John Mark back to school, and uh, we had two conversations. The first was about who was the first stigmatist? And, you know, obviously we think of St. Francis, and there are a few speculators who would say St. Paul, mm -hmm. because in Galatians he says, I bear in my body the, the, the brand. Of the, yeah. yeah, but it's probably St. Francis. Well, he wanted to make the case that the Blessed Mother was really the first stigmatist hmm. with, her, um, with her immaculate heart. Uh -huh. um, and I'm like, now wait a minute. <laughs> You know, let's define what a stigmatist is. So we went there, and I'm like, the stigmatist means that you physically are manifesting the wounds of Christ in your body. And then he said, well, oh, yeah. <laughs> so what's more important, the body or the soul? And didn't the Blessed Mother actually bear within her even more profoundly than St. Francis uh, the very wounds of Christ in her, uh, in her heart, in her soul? Because... Um, because she accompanied Jesus. And so she was with him in the passion as he got all of those wounds. How did those wounds not impress themselves into the depth of her being? She's the first stigmatist. I'm sticking with that. <laughs> and I'm boy. like, you're an equivocator, man. You, you're just equivocate. You're coming up with a different meaning for the same word. So, okay, you're the arbiter here, Father. Oh. <laughs> okay, is John Mark right or am I right? Just, just be careful who you're going to agree with here, okay? <laughs> Well, it's interesting. What I'm surprised he didn't do, and as part of his argument, maybe he did, and you didn't mention it. But you know, Simeon himself prophesied, "You yourself a sword shall pierce." The, and so the the sorrowful heart of Mary pierced with the seven swords. You know, but you know, we could say, you know, that's that's spiritually, you know, the piercing of the heart. But but we also name her Queen of Martyrs, and in a certain sense, her herself martyred because I wish I could remember which saint had said this, but maybe several that. That uh, you know, she she herself experienced martyrdom at the foot of the cross when her son died the literal death and the physical death of martyrdom. Um, you know, so but I mean, I'm like you. You know, let's look at. We could say she's a spiritual stigmatist, and there's probably lots of those of which she's the first. But I don't I don't remember you know hearing anything in tradition about how she herself actually had physical wounds in her wrists and feet and in her heart. And um, so I mean. I, I tentatively agree with you there, Tom, but uh, he makes a good argument. Thank you, it's Jesus. A, and, and he, I think he has some good spiritual insight in all that. Well, and yeah. even he went to the, um, well, the Blessed Mother, her, her body is um, already with the Lord in glory, and isn't she then perfectly confirmed to, conformed to Jesus? Well, that's a, so that makes me think, you know, there's kind of two schools of thought, it seems, with regard to her assumption you know, all that Pope Pius XII said was, you know, when her earthly pilgrimage was done, she was assumed body and soul into heaven. But he does not say in that dogmatic statement definition of the assumption whether she died or whether she was assumed in heaven while still alive. And so the school of thought is that she, well, death is the um, is a fallout and a punishment for sin, but she remains sinless, so it doesn't make sense that she would have died. That's one school of thought. So she was still alive when she was assumed into heaven. Whereas the other, and this is what Eastern Church, and well, the Church calls the Dormition Mary, the sleep of death, is that she did die but did not experience corruption. And, and why would she have experienced death, though she did not deserve it? Because her son experienced death, though he did not deserve it, and she was going to be as perfectly conformed to her son as, as humanly possible, up to and including death. So um, anyway, so what you know, what uh, John Mark may be arguing there made me think of that too. Oh wow, there you go. Well, you and you said something that that's ended. We ended up going there next, okay. which was Simeon, and uh, you know, and and you, uh, your heart, a sword shall pierce, referring to the Blessed Mother. And I said, well, I said, 
you know, you're talking about the stigma, the you know, the stigmata. But I said there is that whole tradition of the seven sorrows of Mary, where the you know the the image. It's one of the like scariest images, really, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. Um, what's the image I'm talking about? Uh, of her pier- heart pierced with yeah. seven swords. Yeah. It, they're like all three. They're, it's like they're a not pin seven butter knives. And they're not seven daggers. I mean, these are seven like broadswords. Yeah. I mean, they're big swords piercing her exposed heart. Right. And it's like, whoa. Yeah. Okay, so then then we got into, and this is what I I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing here. Can you name the seven sorrows? Okay. Can you name the seven sorrows? So just to give you a little heads yeah. up. So John Mark and I did it on the way back. Okay. And we got six of them. Oh, and we were we were kind of caught up on the seventh, I and mean, we're like, I don't know, I, I don't know if it's that one or is it that? And so, um, so we looked it up. Okay. And so we we got six, you know, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> but the seventh one, I was like, I don't think it's that. I, I think it might be this, but I'm not sure. So, I, I was wrong. Oh, okay. I was wrong. Oh. It was it was the other one. Okay. It was the other one. So if we had eight guesses, we would have got it. Okay. But because we <laughs> tried to get all seven, we um, ended up with we ended up with only six out of the seven. No, we. I really mean me, because he didn't he didn't go all in on my seventh. Okay. He was just like, yeah, I don't know about that. So, <laughs> all right. So go ahead, so Father. So it was me. Now it's on you. Oh, okay. Let's let's see if you can get the seven. I'll try to get them in, in order, in no order. less. Yeah. Right. So that uh, that helps me, but the the I think the first is the Canticle of Simeon, uh, the uh, prophecy of Simeon. Yeah, at the presentation. In the pre- at the presentation. Yep. The second is the. Uh, it's a flight into Egypt. The flight into Egypt, very good. The third is the loss of Jesus in yep. the temple yes. before they found him, the fifth joyful mystery. The fourth is, um, okay, now these ones, I believe they overlap uh, the stations. Um, let's see, the fourth would be... Uh, uh, I'm going to stop talking, but I'll let you kind of give the rest of them. Okay, okay. go ahead. <laughs> I'm trying to think. You know, the fourth, I, I think, is, um, oh my gosh... <coughs> Uh, maybe it's when Jesus was crucified. The fifth is when he dies. The sixth is when he's taken down. The seventh is when he's buried. Okay, you only gave me six. I only gave you six. Did I overlap two of them? You um. So let's let's say this. Let's say the ones you did again. Canticle of Simeon, okay. flight into Egypt. Yep. The loss of Jesus. Yep. When he was nailed to the cross. Okay. So he, Jesus, um, the Blessed Mother at the foot of the cross, watching Jesus be crucified. Good. Okay. That's four. Is that different from the death of Jesus? No, just keep going. Okay. Well, I gave the death of Jesus so, so as distinct from the nailing of Jesus on the cross. Okay. So that would be the fifth one. Okay. So and then the sixth is? The sixth is when he came down from the cross and into her arms. arms. And, and then the seventh is when he's buried in the tomb. Okay. That's what I said. Okay. I feel like I missed one. You are not correct. Oh, okay. You got ah, six. Okay. You got six out of seven. You conflated two. Okay. You conflated uh, I I did. Jesus being nailed and Jesus dying. Okay. Okay. So do you want to think it through a little bit? Because I, I, can I tell you the one that I put? I was like, I don't... The one that I came up with that was wrong was that when Jesus rejected the reception of Mary in his ministry, your oh. mother and your brothers are here. Oh. And then he said, who are my mother and my brothers, right? Yeah. And I'm like, ah, I, I think that's it. I did, doesn't really, because I couldn't remember. Because uh-huh. the other one that I forgot was I thought the, um, the, the taking down Jesus from the cross and laying him into the arms of Mary was, um, this, was equated with also, the burying the, burial. In the tomb. Okay. So I, I put those two together, okay. and they should have been separated. Okay. So that's why I was trying to figure out which one am I missing. Yeah, now I'm wondering, what am so, I missing? Okay, you have to just go a little bit earlier in the Stations of the Cross. Okay. Is it when he fell the first time? Oh, what happened after he fell the first time? Then he, he she Met comforted him. his yeah. mother. Yeah. You didn't say that one. Okay. So you said he was nailed to the cross. So it was before he was nailed, right? He yeah. met his mother. Okay. So I, I, John Mark remembered that one. Okay. And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, of course, yes. So anyway, so there was two against one. Right? So yeah, at least there were two of us trying to, t- trying to get that one right. Um, but there's, there is that um, the shrine to Our Lady of Sorrows in Portland. Okay. Yeah, it's actually really beautiful. Um, that, not the chapel. 
they have like a meditation chapel, which mm. is really weird. Mm. But the um, the actual walk around, where well, you can walk around, instead of doing the Stations of the Cross, you do the Stations of the Seven Sorrows okay. of Mary. And um, that's, I think, the only place I've seen that where they have like stations for the seven sorrows of Mary. Have you ever been to anything like that? Well, not not something that's like an exterior, but the the uh, the sh- the uh, shrine to Maximilian Kolbe in um, uh, in Mundelein, Chicago, which is a beautiful church run by the conventional Franciscans, have a side chapel that have um, seven mosaics depicting the seven sorrows of Mary, and it's its own chapel. It, it doubles as one of their confessional chapels when they're hearing confessions. And it's a beautiful chapel. Did you ever have a devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows? No, no, not me. Uh, I prayed, I think I prayed it a couple of times. I've got a seven decade rosary that I, I think has the seven for that purpose. I got mm-hmm. in Lourdes, and that's where I first prayed that devotion. But uh, I've not, it's not, it's not been built up or s- been sustained as a consistent devotion. Have you heard this? I, I didn't know this before Father Ripperger right? The exorcist, Mm -hmm. he started a community. It's, um, it's dedicated to Our Lady of Sorrows. Oh, wow. (coughs) Excuse me, that under her title, Our Lady of Sorrows, there's a particular spiritual power to wage war against Satan and and be victorious. And I didn't know that. Well, we're up against a break, Father. When we come back, more sound insight with Father Jeff Lewis. This is Tom Carn. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carnum with Father Jeff Lewis. And Father, we at least got through the introduction yeah, to, hey. to, the, to the program today. <laughs> We're at, finally at point one. Uh, and point one is, how's your Lent going? So, oh, yeah. A check-in, a Lenten check-in, right? Yeah. I don't think we're ever going to get to the Lenten quotes. I, I've pretty much <laughs> given up on Lenten quotes. We're we might by Easter. <laughs> right, right. By the time Easter gets here, we'll be able to do that. But yeah. you, you said something to me just during the break. It's like Lent is halfway over. Yeah. I can't believe that. It feels to me like it's uh, normally Lent. I, like I think I mentioned in earlier broadcast when we were at the beginning, of Lent. Lent is not my favorite season. It's uh, it's challenging. You know, normally I'm like, okay, we're coming out of weather wise, we're coming out of winter, and it's like the ugliest time of year. I think most of the time, but it's been a, a beautiful Lent so far, weather wise, even this year. But um, but this year, I really, I I, I wanted. To, <laughs> You know, you know, intentionally to change my attitude about that, tied with the um, maybe heightened physical austerity of what I'm trying to do for Lent, and and I can't, like you said, I can't believe we're we're halfway through already. We just celebrated Laetare Sunday, a, a Sunday that's distinguished by the clergy wearing the rose. Men don't wear pink, so that's why it's called rose. <laughs> and um, and but then you know that's you know basically halfway through Lent and. Uh, and um, so anyway, uh, and yeah, it seems like it's really gone at a at a good clip, but not too fast either. It's not like I've blinked and I've missed it. Um, so my Lent, I think, has been <clears throat> has been going pretty good. Um, some of the things I gave up for Lent um, didn't weren't weren't really like deliberately slipped, but it's it's attached to you know what I'm doing kind of with with, with my diet. So what I'm fasting from, but I don't ever want that to be a block from being able to be with folks at dinner. Okay. So my parents wanted to take me out to dinner one evening and, um, and where we went to dinner, uh, a lot of what was on the menu that we couldn't avoid was some of the things that I gave up for Lent. I'm like, well, I don't want this to like impede the evening, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll offer, I'll offer this up the spiritual discomfort. Uh, and then I can, I'll find a way to make up for it, you know, uh, so anyway, but aside from a couple of those incidents, uh, I think it's been going well. And you know, the normal prayer that I'm doing, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm not necessarily added to my prayer, but it feels more focused and um, enriched uh, prayer. So my Lent's been going well. Yeah, how about yours? I gotta say, I I kind of I warned myself on the radio. Um, just be careful, Tom, if you're really gonna sign up for inviting and asking your guardian angel to humble you each day that it's hard to say you'll regret it but you're going to feel it <laughs> and so i am feeling it oh i am feeling have you ever done that lent have no. you ever done that you have you heard about that no actually i heard it from a father ripperger talk it was um he was saying that a traditional practice for lent i'd never heard of it before was to invite your guardian angel um, each day during Lent to humble you. Okay. And so you're going to give permission for your guardian angel to do that. And I did that one Lent. 
about four years ago, and it was, I, I just, I, it was terrible. <laughs> it was just terrible. I was humiliated and humbled. There were so many like. I felt like my guardian angel had like a, a whole big bouquet of humble flowers that he would serve up one at a time and different modes of humbling. Like I just could not believe how many different ways I could be humbled. Yeah. So I brought this up during a program approaching Lent on uh, shortly before Ash Wednesday. And I was like, oh yeah, I did that one time. And you know what? Boy, it made me more humble, but boy, it was really, it was terrible. And then I'm like, wait a minute, don't I want to be more humble? Isn't <laughs> being more humble a good thing? And I, you know, don't, do I really believe that I'm more useful to God if I'm more humble? Why wouldn't I do this again? And I'm like, oh man, that's terrible. What a terrible thing to, to be led right into. So oh. I've been half-heartedly kind of whispering like, okay, yeah, okay, okay, <laughs> yeah, okay, today. And it has been amazing. Just, uh, you, you know, people don't see it, but I'm shaking my head. It's just, it's been amazing how humbling it has been this Lent. Yeah. yeah. That's I'm gonna have to remember that for next year. That'll be good for me. You still have half a Lent. You have a chance. I have half a Lent. If you want, yeah, I, I give you. Per- Maybe the Lord is saying this is for through you. Lewis, this is what I need to do. Huh? No, no, no. You can take on the last half of Lent. I'm willing to share. <laughs> I'm willing to hand over the gift <laughs> of letting the gar- letting your guardian angel get the baton. This is a handoff. Okay, <laughs> this is a two man race, Father. And so I, I'm handing on the baton. You now, sound too eager to give it up. Though. I know, I know. This is great. like, why do I want to give up the crown of humility? And it's like, well, because of how it actually feels. Yeah. So now, is there any good reason why you wouldn't want to do that? There is. I just gave you an inner secret. I know. To greater holiness. There is no. There is no good reason. But sadly, in my fallen, broken human condition, I don't need a good reason to want to dodge this. Well. And, <laughs> There have been several days this Lent where this is how it shows up. I'll bring something up and I'm just kind of like in a venting mood. It sounds like a venting or I'm being defensive or whatever. And Carrie will just say, you should pray about that. You should see what God's God's revealing to you through that. And I'm like, oh man, this is terrible. Uh-huh. This is just terrible because she's right. She's just right. I should be doing that. And it uh, in doing that, it's like, oh man. Lord, I need to be healed. Lord, I need to repent. I need to go to confession. I need to change my life. I need to just recognize how broken or how weak I am or how I've got up my game or just or how much God loves me and he wants to overwhelm me beyond anything I deserve. Even that is humbling, mm-hmm. right? It's a, that's Those are the surprising ones, yeah. that it's humbling. Like the Lord wants to bless you beyond what you imagine. Mm-hmm. The Lord is going to actually shock you with his generosity. And you're going to be humbled by it. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, I like those, but I'll focus on that. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, those are like one in seven, uh. right? So I, I'll take more. I'll take more, Lord. If you if you have some of those for me, um, I have to admit that my kids have inspired me this Lent. My kids, um, in particular, through their penances. Okay. So we we do family meetings and on Sundays we get together and we check in on our Lent and we um, the kids all will talk about how they're doing with their prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And we have individual things and we have family things, right, okay. that we're doing. And so um, it's the individual um, uh, self-sacrifices, the self-denials that they've signed up for. And they have stories, like real stories of... Yeah, I'm at lunch at school, and all my kid, my you know, my friend brought in these treats, and everyone's sharing in them, and I had to say no, like those kind of stories where my kids have restrained themselves. That's been very, um, it's been inspiring and humbling. Yeah, yeah, it's that's been awesome. inspiring because they've done it. It's been humbling because they've done better than I have. <laughs> so. <clears throat> There's your guardian angel acting on you that particular moment. Yes, through my kids, my guardian angel acting. So I am, uh, uh, even though I'm talking about Lent as if it gets dragged along, it hasn't. It has gone by so fast, so fast. So do you have anything, um, as your Lent goes on, Father, do you do do things like, 
like we check in on a weekly basis, mm -hmm. like for kids, one of the important things to do is you start slow sometimes or you keep it short, right? Mm -hmm. So we'll start with one thing and then we'll add something the next week, add something the next okay. week. And then we'll put in the little like, oh, here's the little holiday where you get a break, right? okay. whether it's St. Patrick's or St. Joseph. Um, so we'll do things like that. Do you ever do anything like that or recommend that? Well, I've I've not done that. Um, I do. I, I would recommend it. I've known that um, you know the pastor down in Walla Walla, Father Matthew Nix. He and his, uh, his uh, the other priest down there as a team, they propose for families like here's something that you can do as a family for each week of Lent, kind of with this kind of Lenten theme in mind, and so you can really buckle down and get through you know this week, and then and then it kind of shifts and it. That way you're not getting allowing yourself to get stuck in routine. It's a different intention each time, I think. And so it can really make uh, Lent even more engaging than it than it already is. And I've 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 kind of kept their bulletin uh, resources to that effect uh, and figuring trying to figure out how to apply that in you know St. Mary. I like I do like the idea or where you know something new is kind of added so it's kind of a progressive growth of your devotion in Lent. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I think that um like a lot of guys gravitated to Exodus 90, mm -hmm. but it's just too long for most guys. Yeah. So I said to them, you should do Exodus Lent. And they, they're doing it, yeah. right? Exodus Lent. Or even in Exodus Novena, mm -hmm. right? Things that are like fit in our tradition very naturally, yeah. that are shorter periods that guys are can, can more realistically give an intense amount of time to and, yeah. and do it together, find guys willing to do it together. So. Yeah. Uh, well, Father, we have just a minute left. Uh, any closing thoughts you have uh, today about uh, an encouragement for folks as they're entering into this, this well, beyond the halfway point in their yeah. Lenten journey? You know, I would just, you know, I think we've said a couple of times in past programs uh, in the last couple of weeks, but, you know, it doesn't matter if we've, uh, if, if we've slipped or, or fell back in our Lenten resolves that it, we don't just hang it up and just give up, but, you know, it's, it's a process. It's a process of growth and, and growing in devotion and love for the Lord and, and to just pick it up and, and keep going, keep pressing forward. You know, uh, Jesus himself fell three times in the 14 stations of the cross, but each time got up again and continued that journey toward Golgotha. And he shows us by his good example that we ought to do the same. So, Amen. That's yeah. beautiful. And uh, folks, just uh, we are going to um, be discussing our book, False Mercy, by Dr. Christopher Malloy, published by Sophia Institute Press. Father, you've started it, haven't you? I've almost finished it. You almost yeah. finished it. Yeah. So Father Nagel is, is going to catch up and we're going to, uh, the three of us have a chance to discuss that book, False Mercy, by Dr. Christopher Malloy. So get the book from Sophia Institute Press, read the book, and then get ready for at least one if not two programs, we'll discuss it. All right, God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sun Insight.